Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for today from the Gospel, the 13th chapter of St. Luke, these words. There were some present at that time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. On the 10th of February, the Haitian government confirmed that the death toll of the recent 7.0 earthquake that devastated that island nation now stands at 230,000 people. 300,000 more of them injured, many maimed for life, many very severely. Three million people in this little island nation now homeless. You've seen the destruction on television. A greater quake measuring 8.8 strikes near Santiago, Chile. Only a week ago, over a thousand dead, two million homeless. How do you respond to such tragedy? How do you explain tragedy like that? Well, the people in our text for today had answers for tragedies like these. The people in our text for today, at least many of them, attributed tragedy suffered to specific sins that had been committed. That's what the Pharisees taught them. People who suffer these particular tragedies must have committed specific sins. That's what they were taught. And that's why in today's text they recall a tragic event which had just taken place in Jerusalem, just as fresh in their minds as Port-au-Prince is to us, or Santiago, Chile, and their devastation. And so also this event that they now bring to mind and bring to Jesus' attention is something that had recently been suffered. The particular case that they're pointing to appears to have been a heated political event, a demonstration that was held near the Jerusalem temple where apparently the people there had crossed the line that Pontius Pilate had given. In gathering together, they had very likely been hearing rousing speeches with overtones of Jewish nationalism, past glories, former days of independence from the Romans, self-rule. And they started to speak out against Rome and its agents. And Pontius Pilate, of course, from a distance with an eye on these things, Paranoid as he was about the Jews, knowing what the season of Passover would bring in terms of passion and driving for independence and such things, determines to quickly put down any and all opposition, any rebellion. And so as troops enter into the temple area, thus desecrating the holy ground of God, slaughtering those Galilean zealots on the very altars upon which they had been offering their sacrifices to God. And that's what our text is talking about, this tragic event. What do you say to that, Jesus, they're saying? What do you say to that, the Jews ask him? Were the Galileans simply victims of Rome's cruel oppression, or had they committed specific sins which were now being punished by these acts of violence, which 
if not God-ordained and God-endorsed, were at least God-allowed atrocities. What do you say to these things, Jesus? How easy it is to get so caught up in the political and the philosophical discussions and debate about such things as this, about life's tragedies, isn't it? Isn't that what we're all inclined to do when tragedies happen, to get involved in the political or the philosophical explanations to these things? Just as they did in our text for today, so charged up about these things that they missed the whole point of it all. There's an 800-pound gorilla in the room, and they don't even see him. And so Jesus says, here he is. Here's that gorilla, and he answers them by asking them a question. You'll see what I mean in just a minute. Jesus says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And then he answers, no. No, they weren't. And I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Perish is a potent word. And it's usage coming from the, the Greek word, it has a finality to it. A finality that's very discomforting, sort of an end-time word. It's one of those irreversible sort of conditions to perish. Irreversible destruction. Destruction with eternal implications. Perish. Serious stuff. You see what Jesus does? They want to talk politics, and he won't talk politics. They want to talk philosophy, and he won't talk philosophy. They want to blame it on the Romans, or if it wasn't the Romans behind this atrocity, then it must be the sins of these particular Galileans. After all, who else is there to blame? How else can this be explained? Surely you're not going to, to blame it on God. Amen. And they're right about that. God is not the author of any kind of wickedness or evil. But they were wrong about the notion that there were only three to blame, either the Romans or the Galileans or God. Conveniently, they had forgotten another explanation. They conveniently ignored the gorilla in the room, and they conveniently forgot that they were part of this equation as well. And he answered them and said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, he says, and I tell you, but unless you <coughs> repent, you will all likewise perish. You see, they were all perishable people. So don't go attributing the tragedies that befell the Galileans to any specific sin they committed. That's to try to get off the hook. Sin is sin. None of it more damning, none of it more deserving of God's wrath than any other. It all is deserving of God's wrath. Sin is sin. That's why Jesus goes on to cite then another similar situation as evidence that his argument indeed is correct. And he says, or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell upon them. Do you think they were greater debtors that's the Greek word, culprits, actually. Do you think they were greater culprits or debtors than all of the other people living in Jerusalem? See what Jesus does? He suddenly brings it all very close to home to them, to Jerusalem. I tell you, no, but unless you repent, he says, you likewise shall perish. 
And note well in neither the Galilean incident or in the Jerusalem Siloam incident that he mentions that Jesus make any connection between a specific sin committed and the tragedy that befell them. Not to say that there aren't connections at times between sins committed and tragedies that befall us. There are. But that's not always the explanation for tragedies that occur. In neither incident that Jesus mentions does he even suggest indeed that the Galileans aren't sinners or that those construction workers who were building that tower of Siloam which was used to hold an aqueduct that was being that was going through the Jerusalem area that they weren't sinners that they weren't debtors they were they were sinners they were debtors indeed Jesus doesn't deny that they were all sinners and they all because of their sins were debtors as well and guess what Jesus adds with a punch that must have stunned everyone listening to him that day and unless you repent you will likewise perish we're all part of that divine equation we're all part of that disaster equation not just the Romans not just the Galileans not just the 18 Siloam Tower Jews or all of those to whom Jesus was speaking 2,000 years ago but his word transcends from one generation from the next over the centuries even millennia and it hits us squarely too we all are part of the equation you me the Galileans the Romans the Jews all all of us for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God all sinners all equally debtors all perishable people as Luther would say beggars all there's but one and there's only one who on his own merit stands outside of that circle of sin which encompasses all of us only one in the whole history of mankind only one and that's the one of whom the author of Hebrews writes the one he says who was tempted in every way that we are yet without sinning the one Saint Peter says who committed no sin and in whose mouth there was no guile the one Saint John says in whom there is no sin the one Saint Paul says who had no sin but became sin for us Jesus sinless Jesus attested to by apostolic scripture the one and the only one whose sinlessness exempts him from the destruction of first century sinners like the Galileans or the Jews or 21st century sinners like you and me the only one and even though he was the only one and this is such an amazing <coughs> race so that you and I along with those Galileans and Jews of centuries ago would not eternally perish the sinless one becomes our sin for us as our creed says he suffered under Pontius Pilate and he wasn't the first Galilean to suffer under Pontius Pilate as we've heard from our text for today and he was crucified died and was buried and as we know from the first century historians Josephus and Tacitus 
There were many others who were crucified, thousands who were crucified even before our Lord. He wasn't the first Galilean to be crucified by Pontius Pilate indeed, but he was the first and he was the only Galilean who was sinless. And the only Galilean, indeed the only one born of woman who can claim to be the divinely begotten of God the Father from all of eternity, as we confessed in the creed this morning, he's God of God, he's light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, isn't that indeed the Christian faith that we confess with the creed of Nicaea of so long ago. And that's why no other Galilean was the Son of God. No other Galilean bore the sin of the world in his soul upon the cross. No other Galilean died the death that our sins deserve so that we would never have to die it. And you can be sure of this. The death of no other Galilean ever did to death itself what the death of this Galilean did. The death of this Galilean, Jesus of Nazareth and Galilee, destroyed death forever. His death on the cross was, was a, a death-destroying death because the life that was in him was stronger than our death that was upon him and our sin that he bore for us. His life was stronger than all of that, a sin-forgiving and a death-defying life which he not only gave up on the cross for us so long ago, but even gives to us right now. As he comes to us in his word and his sacrament, through baptism into his death, what does he give us? Newness of life, scripture says. And right here, as we hear his word, that word to which he attaches his life when he says, he who hears my word has eternal life. Right here, as we receive his very body and his blood, the life-giving fruit of the tree of the cross of which he spoke when he said, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Life for our death. Life given to us even now through word and sacraments. Life that will even raise us up on the last day, he says. You see, his life is working still to overcome our death, even now. It's happened already with our souls. And in due time, it will happen also with our bodies. Death, the last enemy, being overcome by life. The life of the Galilean. The life of Jesus Christ. And so, dear friends, you can count on it. Count on it with everything that is in you. As in days of old, towers around us will tumble from time to time. Some will be brought down by violent acts of terrorism. Others shaken off their foundations by earthquakes and tsunamis. Yet others just falling, as did the Tower of Siloam, by other forces in this fallen world that ultimately pulls everything down except Christ's holy people. And as in the days of old, Pontius Pilots of this world will always secure their positions of power, even if necessary, by desecrating God's temples. Because when it comes to power, the profane ultimately has little regard for that which is holy, even 
for Christ's holy people. As in the days of old, tremors throughout the financial markets of a land will shake the foundations of wealth and wear it away for all who have laid up their treasures on earth rather than in heaven, as have Christ's holy people. And as in the days of old, youth gives way to age, strength becomes weakness, health becomes sickness, worldly gain ultimately becomes earthly loss, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain scripture says that we shall take nothing out of it. Naked we came into this world, naked we shall leave it, unless, unless we are baptismally clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ and are therefore Christ's holy people. You see, it all comes down to this. No one but Christ can make the perishable imperishable. No one. And that, my friends, is why we all so desperately need to be Christ's holy people. And that's why others around us so desperately need to be Christ's holy people too, because we all would perish without him. Decades ago, the great Christian apologist C.S. Lewis put it so simply, so profoundly. He said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal, that is, they're going to come to an end. Their life, therefore, compared to ours, is like the life of a gnat. But think on this, he said, it is immortals with whom we joke, immortals with whom we work, immortals that we marry, and it is immortal souls that we snub, and immortal souls that we exploit, immortal souls for whom awaits eternal horrors or everlasting splendors. How blessed we are to be Christ's holy people. Confess him to other immortals, that they might forever be his holy people too. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.